I've been a minority all my life in wherever I go. I'm kind of used to it. The difference is when it's affecting directly, you know, how people perceive you in a career sense, all of a sudden it feels very loud. Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast dedicated to helping you reinvent your career. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you gain the clarity, confidence, and courage to overcome the challenges of changing career paths so you can do more meaningful work and truly enjoy your professional life. In each episode, I feature people who have decided to step off the beaten path to reinvent their careers. We talk through their unique personal stories, the challenges they overcame, and the lessons they learned to help you understand what it takes to relaunch your own career. Today, my guest is going to share her story of relaunching her career as a civil engineer to become a software developer. We're going to talk about being aware of your organization's cultural nuances and the importance of feeling like you fit into your workplace. Afterwards, I'll share my own thoughts on how culture has had an impact on me during my own professional pivots. Today, I'm speaking with Amy Elias, who's a software developer at Sky, part of the Comcast Corporation and one of Europe's leading media and entertainment companies. Prior to this, she spent six years working as a civil engineer after graduating from Imperial College, where she worked for Transport for London, the government body responsible for most of the transport network in London, England. She worked on railway projects such as the Crossrail and station upgrades for the London Underground. Then in 2017, she joined the Get Into Tech program, a 14-week introduction to software development run by Sky alongside her full-time job. This eventually led her to being accepted into a graduate program at Sky, where she's now a back-end Python developer for Sky's e-commerce platform for their online streaming service. Now, Amy's actually a longtime listener of this show, and we first connected when she dropped me a note last year mentioning how a very early career relaunch episode, episode eight featuring Zai Devecha, when we talked about flow state, got her thinking about her own moments of flow, including those moments when she lost track of time as a teenager tinkering around with code. Now, many years later, she's tapped back into her own flow state working on software development and machine learning. You can get all the show notes from today's episode at careerrelaunch.net slash 83. Amy spoke with me from London. Good morning, Amy, and welcome to Career Relaunch. It is great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming today. Thanks for having me. I want to talk about a lot of different things with you today. We're going to talk about your career in civil engineering and then also your shift to coding in a completely different industry. I was wondering if you could start off by, first of all, just telling me what's been keeping you occupied in your life, both work and also personal lately. I currently work for Sky as a backend developer, and I work on the e-commerce platform for their online streaming service. So we deal with the catalog of products and offers that customers can purchase from wherever they are in different territories. For example, in the UK, Ireland, and some European countries, we provide content for Sky. And in the US, we provide content by NBCU, that's NBC Universal. And in my spare time, particularly the last two years, I've been working on my MSE part-time. So this is an MSE in computer science, as I don't have a background in computer science. And I decided to do this to upskill myself. I didn't know at the time that we would be in the midst of all of this craziness, but it helped that I could spend more time on it at home. So I've just finished that, and I'm glad 
that section of life is over and I don't have to sit any more academic exams. <laughs> right. That's what I've been working on mostly, yeah. <laughs> Can you also just tell me a little bit about your background? Yeah, so my family are from Malaysia. They came to London, I think, in 1982. And my parents met here as young people, like on a course, and they ended up staying here. And my self and my brother were both born in London. Let's just go back in time a little bit because you haven't always been a software developer. Could you tell me a little bit about your six-year career in civil engineering, which is what you were doing before, and then we can move forward from there? I graduated in civil engineering at Imperial, and it's the kind of degree where you immediately have a lot of opportunities in terms of jobs. So the natural progression seemed to be get a job in civil engineering. And I had spent every summer working in a design consultancy. So it didn't seem like a bad idea considering I had some work experience to try that. However, like when I graduated, it was 2010 and jobs were becoming quite scarce. We, we had the recession at that time. Nothing like what people are experiencing right now, I'm sure. but it was still one of those times where it was quite difficult. So when I did manage to get a job at Transport for London, I obviously took it because, you know, you couldn't exactly complain. And Transport for London is a TFL, I guess it's the largest government provider of transportation services in the country. That's right. So Transport for London look after London Underground, the buses, the cycle higher scheme and the cycle superhighways, for example, and a lot of roads in London. So they cover a lot of bases. I was positioned in London Underground, the London Underground Graduate Scheme, uh, which was a three-year graduate scheme. Met people of my own age who had also left university having done civil engineering. It was a scheme where I managed to do lots of different things and it was really interesting. I worked on Crossrail, which is a brand new railway line that transports people from East to West London, on London Underground station upgrades. And I could have talked all day about how cool it was and people thought my job was really cool. But the day-to-day -day reality of it wasn't that interesting to me. I just sort of went with it. And all the signs were saying, oh, you're doing really well. You know, people would tell me you're doing really well just keep going it's fine my parents would say oh you're doing so you know you just get all these positive signals that everything's fine so you just keep going the natural route in engineering is to also get chartered so civil engineers get chartered with the institution of civil engineers and I did a lot of work with them you know work towards this professional qualification and then when I achieved that qualification nothing was different. I, I expected, I don't know, work to suddenly become more interesting or stuff to be more challenging, but it didn't happen. Is that certification like a barrier to entry for more senior roles or is it like a stamp of approval? It's a bit of both. So I think for some roles, yeah, it can be a barrier to entry. It doesn't mean that people don't progress without it. Many experienced engineers do not have this qualification Sometimes they take a different route to get there, but there can be jobs that require it in, you know, part of their job spec. Okay, you're working on the Crossrail, which was probably in recent years has been the most 
major publicly impactful project to create that high-speed rail network to connect people outside of London into London, more convenient station upgrades for TFL. That sounds really great and exciting on the surface, but you weren't really feeling super satisfied inside. Can you put into words what exactly did you not like about your day-to-day job? It's kind of a tricky one to describe because it's not that the work wasn't interesting. It's just that it's such a huge project that you end up doing quite a small play a small role on that project. I think it was to do with just the way that I like to problem solve. So, you know, on a construction project, you tend to have designers and contractors. So designers would look at the calculations for the design, provide the drawings, the specifications. Contractors tend to be doing the on-site work. So they'll be doing different jobs on site. I was neither of these. I was a client because Transport for London, TfL, are a client organization. So they give the contracts out to these different companies to carry out the work for them. So a lot of that was me checking that people had done what they needed to do. (laughs) I had a great overview and strategic outlook on what was happening, but wasn't getting into a lot of that work. I guess this happens sometimes that people, well, they study a subject in university and they may or may not have a deep desire to go into the industry, but they do anyway because it's what makes sense after you get that sort of a degree. So in this case, civil engineering, your day-to-day life isn't quite as you had hoped it would be. Were you thinking at this point in time, maybe I'll switch to a different organization and try to do something else in civil engineering or what was running through your head when you were experiencing this? At the time, I was focused on gaining the professional qualification and there was a lot of support within TFL to do that. So I stayed there until I achieved that qualification. So I left TFL for a design consultancy to be a designer properly. And it was still Crossrail, which was interesting. And I was in a managerial position, so I was managing other designers. And it was great because I got that position from gaining my chartership. But then I realized it wasn't that fun either. There was a lot of pressure. It was just that the environment wasn't exactly healthy in some ways. I don't know how to explain it because I was there for such short a time. So what happened in that role is that I got made redundant. So it forced my hand to look at something else. However, at that time, I had already been looking into coding. So a few months before that redundancy happened, I had joined Sky's Get Into Tech course. Was this just something that you'd always been interested in doing or how did you pick coding in particular? When I was a teenager, I used to be tinkering around with personal blogs and changing what my MySpace looked like for hours instead of doing my revision. I spent a lot of time messing around with that At the time, I didn't know that software development was a career choice. I didn't have any role models that did this. And at school, no one mentioned it. So I joined the Get Into Tech course because I wanted to reignite that interest that I had years and years ago, just to see what it was like and just to see what people were using these days. 
to code things. I hadn't really coded anything like a program. It was mostly me messing around with HTML and CSS, which are very like the cosmetic side of changing web pages. And I really enjoyed it. I found myself in that zone again, just spending hours and hours trying to solve problems that were set in the class. And I did this, you know, in my spare time outside of work. At what point did you realize that this could turn into something more? So Sky wanted to get more women into tech through this course by introducing them to some basic concepts. And usually their graduate program does not attract as many women, mostly because not many women are doing computer science. And they offered the opportunity to sit the interview for the graduate program at Sky. So I sat the program just to see if I would get in, just to see what kind of things people ask at these things. And they offered it to me. So I was in a bit of a dilemma because at that point, I didn't know that that redundancy was coming. And I had to decide whether I would leave this career I'd spent like six years building or to try something totally different. It was quite hard. (laughs) Can you take me back to the moment when you were able to make that decision? How did you come to the level of clarity you needed in order to make the leap? It was really tough. I spoke to so many different people about it. Obviously, my parents, being immigrants in this country, they saw it as risky to try and do something, which, you know, in hindsight, it's not that risky. It's still not a job that has a career path. It's not like I was saying, I'm going to put down all my tools and start a business I know nothing about. My friends had mixed opinions about it. In the end, I decided not to take it because I just felt like, oh, I've worked really hard at this. Maybe again, I thought to myself, oh, maybe if I give it more time, it will change. And then the redundancy happened. And then I I had to go back and ask Guy if they would take me because after that happened, my parents were like, yeah, maybe this is the sign that you need to just try it. It doesn't sound so bad after all, right? Yeah. (laughs) I'm not sure if now is the right time to bring this up, but if you're open to going here in this conversation, something we touched on prior to this recording, because you mentioned friends and family and their influence on your thoughts and your decisions about this particular move. If you're willing to talk about this, I understand you were also in a relationship around this time and I think that would be interesting to touch on because clearly our life at work affects our life outside of work and vice versa. Can you tell me a little bit about what was happening for you outside of work related to this relationship and how that influenced your decision making here? My partner at the time was very supportive of a lot of the things I wanted to do. With this particular decision, he helped me a lot in terms of talking through, you know, what the pros and cons were. When I made whatever decision I made, it was really helpful. However, later on, after I'd taken the decision to join Sky and become a software developer, a lot of things changed. So we met on the TFL grad scheme. So he was also a civil engineer. And obviously I was moving industries and that was a big part of what, we spoke about, you know, our work life, we spoke about in depth. So that all changed. So leading up to that point, everything was fine. Like he was helping me make these decisions and didn't hold me back in that respect. It was after that that everything changed. 
Was there anything in particular that changed with the relationship itself after you actually made your career change? The relationship in its dynamic changed a lot. In the lead up to that huge life change, there were a lot of different behaviors that were coming up in the relationship. It became a lot more toxic. There were certain elements of my relationship that I started to become unhappy with. And I would say, I don't think he was aware of it at the time that these things were happening and what that meant would uh, would have meant for our relationship or even that he would have admitted at that time it was to do with the career change but I feel like a lot of these things probably came from not feeling in control of how things were moving. It sounds like things were going fine with the relationship and then you yourself evolved away from what had been the status quo professionally and it it sounds like that in some way triggered a change in the dynamic of the relationship do you have any sense of why that happened like why the career move ended up creating this paradigm shift in the relationship itself i guess when you change careers like that it becomes kind of your identity in a way i don't know if Other people have felt this, but when I changed careers, I didn't realize how much of my identity was tied to my career until I moved and realized that, for example, all the social currency you have when being in an organization, like there's connections, people not knowing who you are, people not already having some idea of whether you're competent or not, that all of that changes. So you end up feeling like you've really started all over again. And maybe it was me wanting to spend a lot more time with the new people I'd met, or it could be suddenly all the things I was talking about were very, very different. A lot of things become a different focus that are totally new. And I think it's maybe that lack of familiarity or not being able to empathize with the fact that all of this is a bit scary and all I'm doing is trying to make make sense of this new situation I find myself in. I've had a very similar experience where I go from one chapter of my career to the next and it's like the people from the previous chapter, sometimes they come along for the ride, but especially with acquaintances or colleagues outside of your immediate team, a lot of those relationships can kind of fizzle out. I would say that some of my friends continued with me for the ride, as you say. I guess the ones that were the closest. But actually, it wasn't because of the job itself that, you know, I'd lost people along the way. Actually, it was more to do with how that breakup happened and what I perceived to be, you know, a strong friendship or not based on the stuff I would talk about around the relationship. You know, there's some people who were more understanding when I explained the situation and some people who are less ready to, didn't have the same tools to respond. So that was ended up being a separator in this instance. I wanted to shift gears here a little bit before we wrap up with some of the lessons you've learned along the way. So you go from moving through this 14-week introduction program, this get-into-tech program at Sky, into software development, 
Can you describe what your experience has been like going from civil engineering into a very different function and role within a very different industry? The perception of software development is that it's, you know, would have been just as bad as engineering in terms of diversity. But I found that people are more diverse in their personalities than they were in engineering. It's really a tough one to describe, but even though the field is still male-dominated, you know, not as many people of color, the personalities you get are very different. And like, it kind of fits better with me, I guess. In the engineering world, I remember a conversation I had with a friend of mine who was also on the scheme at the time. And I was like anxious about not appearing white enough or like having to put on this persona, which was white. And at that time, I couldn't explain what those things were. When I tried to, they just sounded like normal things, like certain ways of communicating or being opinionated or because there are things that sound like they're just traits that you need, but it's a certain way of communicating that's expected of you that I had to emulate a lot of the time, which wasn't in my natural personality. Yeah, that's interesting. I do think that you're bringing up something that does come up a lot, whether it's explicit or implicit, there's this cultural fit with your organization. And sometimes when people talk about cultural fit, they're talking about, I guess, the dynamics of the company, whether it's fast moving or entrepreneurial, or if the people are friendly or if it's competitive. But I think there's another element to it, which is actually, it's more related to ethnicity, or it's maybe more related to geography. And there could be some mismatches there with the culture. Definitely. With ethnicity, I found that I noticed this more as I moved to Sky. The young men who, you know, came from an ethnic minority background, I could see them struggling more, having conversations with people. And then I, you know, looked back at where I was in engineering and did notice some things as well, but it's never spoken about. And I felt for them because it's not an easy one to navigate. And at the time, you don't even know how to describe that feeling where you're not quite fitting in culturally but there's nothing going wrong necessarily. I actually, I used to work in the Bay Area in California where there's quite a few Asians. I'm Taiwanese myself. Mm -hmm. And I never really thought very much about cultural fit. I felt like I generally fit into the overall environment at work. There was a lot of ethnic and cultural diversity at work. And then I remember moving to London and at both of the companies where I worked, I was a minority in so many different ways. I think when you're one of, in my case, three Asians along with a handful of other minorities in a company of 180 employees, it's hard not to feel a little bit like an outlier. And it's hard for that not to affect your overall experience at the company. But it's kind of hard to put that into words sometimes, both for yourself and also for others. I've been a minority all my life in wherever I go. I'm kind of used to it. The difference is when it's affecting directly, you know, how people perceive you in a career sense, all of a sudden it feels very loud. For example, I I used to go to an Islamic school. I would be the only Southeast Asian person, you know, in my year and maybe one of, I don't know, three or four other students which were from a Southeast Asian background when everyone else was Middle Eastern. 
you kind of don't realize how much of a deal it is until you sort of leave and you go oh that was that was a bit weird like <laughs> there was a lot of things that you couldn't be you couldn't really share about yourself people would talk about how their families are but in the wider context of london you're like oh i'm with people who are kind of like me that's fine <laughs> then i went home to engineering again like white dominated but then you're on a university course you don't really notice you just need to carry on doing what you're doing like other people's interactions with you don't affect your grade but then all of a sudden you're in a job and all of a sudden what people think of you matters a lot the last thing i was hoping to talk with you about before we wrap up with what you're doing right now because i understand there's another role shift that's coming up for you when we spoke before amy you mentioned that you did everything you were supposed to do coming out of civil engineering, but you still ended up in a career path that wasn't right for you. What exactly did you mean by that? The process of doing that job didn't necessarily fit my natural personality. I felt like I was shifting my personality a lot in order to fit either the type of role or the people I was working with. Software on the other hand, it has a lot of similarities, but the cool thing about software is that you can design it and build it and see it happen. And it's a lot of problem solving, which I find enjoyable. The kind of problem solving that happens on big engineering projects depends a lot on your experience and what you've seen before. I entered engineering having never had any you know, real experience of being on site, you know, as a young person, I think a lot of people get into engineering after, I don't know, messing around with a car or being on on site with a friend or a family member, or they have these little experiences which exposes them to what it's actually like. And I didn't have that. I totally went into it on a theoretical basis, trying to use what I knew to help people, but actually it just didn't suit me. Like I had to become this person that civil engineering needed to be. Whereas I'm a natural problem solver and just software suited me better. It's also the kind of people that software draws to it that I seem to get along with a lot better. So it just seemed like a more natural fit as soon as I joined it. And if you had to give some advice to your younger civil engineering self as it relates to thinking about your career or changing careers, what might that be? It would be to unlearn those things that you get taught as a young person to always listen to what everyone else says. I think I should have listened to my instinct when I was messing around with web pages for hours and hours and to have followed that. I think a lot of young people tend to have something they're really interested in, but there isn't anyone to notice that that is something that they can turn into something else, whether it's a career or a very, you know, important hobby of theirs, you know, something that they can take forward and and do more earnestly in some way, in some creative way or some productive way. I should have listened to my instinct when I joined my civil engineering course because I definitely 
felt like it wasn't for me, but my dad kept telling me, no, it's fine. You're doing really well. I don't think my younger self would have listened to my advice either because my dad would have been on the other side going, no, 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 just stay where you are. Uh Yeah. But yeah, I think that comes out of being from an immigrant family who they just want the best of their kids and to just persevere with the opportunities that have been presented to them, not realizing that other opportunities may also turn up as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that that does come up a lot with immigrant families as someone myself who grew up in the United States after my parents immigrated there primarily for me and my sister. I think that there is always this desire to make their immigration and them transplanting themselves across the world worth it. Last question before we wrap up with what you're doing right now, having been through this career change, what's one thing you've learned about yourself? One of the things I have noticed is that the tasks or jobs I enjoyed the most tend to be things that help other people out. And I, you know, I used to do volunteer work, looked at international development and stuff when I was at university, got really passionate about that. But actually, now that you mention it, the projects I enjoyed the most in my software career are the ones where I'm helping people do their job a lot better. You know, I get that buzz from someone using something and it's made their life a lot easier. I think that's a nice compass to keep in mind for the rest of your career as you look forward and think about what you want to do next. I want to wrap up, Amy, with what you're doing right now. And I understand you're about to make another shift within Sky. Can you tell me a little bit more about your new role there? I did my MSc in computer science and uh, my dissertation was around machine learning. And actually, I tried to combine my previous experience with the new things I had learned. So I applied machine learning to construction data. And then whilst I was doing that, I thought more about where I'd like to go next. And within Sky, we have a team that basically creates a platform for data scientists to run their machine learning models. So this year I started talking to that team and then was successful in you know selection to join them. So I'm joining that team in a week's time. And it's really exciting. It's not a bigger pivot as what I had done from civil engineering to software, but it's certainly a pivot in terms of what I do now to what they'll be doing in that team. Well, congratulations on the new role. And thanks so much for telling us about your shift from civil engineering to software development and how your relationships outside of work were affected along the way. And also just the importance of there needing to be a strong cultural fit between who you are and the people within your organization. So best of luck to you with your new machine learning role at Sky. Thanks, Joseph. So I hope you heard some useful insights from Amy about recognizing the day-to-day realities of your work, the cultural dynamics of your sector, and the importance of finding the right fit in your career. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'm going to share a couple moments in my own career when I thought about this very topic of cultural fit. Before we get to today's Mental Fuel, I wanted to thank Brand Yourself for supporting this episode of Career Relaunch. Brand Yourself offers simple tools and services to help control what people find when they Google you. To clean up, protect, and improve how you look online, visit brandyourself.com and use promo code RELAUNCH to get 50% off a premium membership. 
This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge to help you move forward with your own career goals. And for today's Mental Fuel, I wanted to just revisit this topic of culture and how much this can affect your day-to-day satisfaction at work. I wanted to share a bit more detail on those examples I mentioned very briefly during my conversation with Amy, which I hope can help you also think about how well the culture of your organization matches up with who you are. So if you're a longtime listener, you may know that I'm Taiwanese, but although I am 100% Taiwanese, culturally, I consider myself American, even though I've now spent the past 12 years in the UK. As I mentioned when I was speaking with Amy, my parents immigrated to the U.S. many decades ago, and my sister and I were born there. Although I haven't necessarily spoken much about it on this show, I feel like growing up in an immigrant family really feeds into my worldview, my own personality, perspectives, attitudes, beliefs, really everything about how I approach the world is pretty much grounded in this experience of growing up in a family trying to settle in and fit in. And because of my dual Asian and American identity I've straddled my entire life, I feel like I've always been very acutely aware of this idea of fitting in or not fitting in. And I'm probably a little more sensitive than most to the idea of inclusion versus exclusion. In my own career, there are two immediate examples that come to mind of moments when I really felt and noticed the cultural environment around me in my organization. The first happened when I first moved here to the UK and worked at a company called Goo, which was at the time a small startup company based in central London. And I felt like I sort of had this love-hate relationship with my work there. On the one hand, I really loved living and working in London on a luxury dessert brand after spending the previous few years marketing more ordinary things like trash bags and drain opener. So the idea of being one of the marketing leads on what was at the time named by Cool Brands UK as one of the coolest brands in the UK, well, felt pretty cool. I liked working on a challenger brand partnering with fashion brands, and I like the fast-paced nature of the work there, having come out of a larger, slower-moving corporate entity like Clorox. Culturally, it was a refreshing change for me in that young, dynamic, entrepreneurial environment. On the other hand, I was a minority and outlier there in so many ways. When I first joined, I was the only man on the marketing team. I was the only Asian in the entire company. I was one of the only people, other than the managing director, who was no longer in his 20s. I was also one of only two non-Brits on the UK team who hadn't grown up in the UK. And I kind of felt this every day. I actually remember someone on the team asking me why I didn't go out socializing and drinking with them more after work, and how if I could do that, it would help me with my camaraderie with the team. And I remember thinking, first off, I don't really drink. Second, I wasn't that used to the pub culture here in the UK. And most importantly, I was at a stage in my life and career at the time where I kind of just wanted to go home and spend time with my girlfriend and go to sleep at a reasonable hour instead of going out and drinking with colleagues who I'd already been spending 50 to 60 hours and most of my waking hours with each week. The next company I worked for here in the UK was General Mills, which in terms of organizational culture actually was a relief compared to the nonstop, intense, fast-paced culture of a small startup. People were a bit older, 
It felt a bit more professional to be back in an established corporate environment. And I love the friendly, positive family feel of General Mills. At the same time, amongst the 180 employees there in the London office, I couldn't help but notice I was one of only three Asians there and only one of a handful of minorities I could count on one hand. And while this didn't really have a direct impact on my day-to-day work or even job satisfaction there, it's something I definitely felt on a day-to-day basis, especially at company social events, which was not something I felt in any way when I was working in the Bay Area at Clorox, where there was quite a bit of cultural and ethnic diversity and therefore not something I really thought that much about when I was there. So I suppose I'm bringing this up because whether or not you consider yourself an outlier or a minority per se, having crossed paths with thousands of career changers over the past decade of me focusing on this topic of career change, I would say that culture, both organizational culture and company culture, probably has a bigger impact on your daily work satisfaction and well-being than pretty much everything else. I actually had a client recently ask me whether he should take a job that paid better at a company that seemed like a cultural mismatch or take a lower paying job at a company where he admired the culture and personalities of the people there. Assuming your salary hits the minimum threshold to live the life you want, you can probably guess that I'd recommend prioritizing culture. Now, I'm not saying you necessarily need to work somewhere where everyone acts like you, looks like you, and thinks like you. That's also not great for a whole host of reasons. And in the examples I mentioned above, being outside of my element and comfort zone actually helped me grow as a professional in ways I wouldn't have if I were completely comfortable at work. But culture, whether you're talking about ethnic or regional culture or more figurative culture, like an organization's approach or personality, matters a ton. I typically think of your job role, function, organization, and location to feed into what you do functionally every day at work, but the culture is what you feel emotionally every day. And these emotions are ultimately what make the difference between your work being enjoyable or unenjoyable. Ultimately, this comes down to a question of whether the organization you work for is helping you become the person you want to be or forcing you to be someone you're not and have no interest in being. It may take some work, but finding a place where you feel like you truly belong is definitely worth the effort. This takes me to a quote from the American journalist and novelist Ron Francel. Some journeys take you farther from where you come from, but closer to where you belong. So my challenge to you is to think a little bit about whether your current job is moving you closer to or farther from the type of person you want to be in your life and career. Do you like the person you're becoming? Or do you feel more like you're having to put on an act to fit into your role or organization by being someone you're not? If you feel like your work is turning you into someone you don't like, aside from actually leaving that job behind, consider what change you could make to your way of working, your mindset about your work, or your attitude toward your job that could enable you to live your life in a way that makes you proud, or at the very least, in a way that you won't eventually regret in the long run. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, you can help this podcast reach even more people by leaving a positive review and rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can find the links to do that at careerrelaunch.net slash 83. 
where you can also find highlights from my chat today with Amy, learn more about her, or ask me anything you want related to your own career change ambitions. Again, that's careerrelaunch.net slash 83. Thanks so much for listening to Career Relaunch and a very special thanks to Amy Elias for sharing her personal story with us today. This episode was mixed by Liam McKenzie. Our music was curated by Jonathan Rinaldi Pohl and the Career Relaunch theme song was written and performed by Electrocardiogram. I'm Joseph Liu and I'll talk to you next time.